Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. The performance rankings, you had to be there, the crappy quiz, and a slight tangent. Get you going that little if you bit. Say to anger it. is a great ah, motivator. Yeah. Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. Hurling on Off the Ball. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game. All right, that time of the week again. Anthony Nash, how the hell are you? Chris, how are you keeping? Uh, I'm not in the car again. Indoors. Indoors today, yeah. I was actually laughing there when lads you were saying that the last time, or one of the times I was in the car, I was absolutely melting with the sweat, so I'm going to try and be in a house or a room from now on. The content was so hot, the iPhone overheated. <laughs> that was it, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, we always get stuck talking Limerick, but I do think that one of the biggest pieces of news that happened this week it happened to Limerick, and it's the fact that Declan Hannan is injured and will definitely miss the semi-final. Uh, um, talking with Seamus Hickey during the week, he was like, I would have Declan Hannan as one of the three most important components in this entire Limerick era. And then he explained why... And, you know, Hannan's transformation and his quiet leadership style and then just his ability to read the game and affect the game and affect his teammates. I was like, this is big news. Yeah, it is. And, like, to be fair, look, we always say that we discuss Limerick because, like, you always want to discuss the best of what, you know, the best team, the best athlete, the best, whatever, sports person. But um, it's huge. It's massive because it just, it's going to change some massive component of their defence. You know, like he is the most natural centre back in the game. You know, Ty Deborka was a guy who I always would have idolised and didn't like playing against because of the way he read the game and everything like that. And then Declan Hannon kind of, you know, has just epitomised what a low lying, hurling centre back can do. And the one thing he does, I find for Limerick, is that when the things seem to go against him, he seems to just pop up in the right place, at the right time, and score. Um, so I think it is a, it's a massive, massive jolt to the to the squad. But again, like Limerick have done over the years, they'll deal with it. They'll probably put, I think, probably Dan Morrissey to six, maybe. I know Kyle Hayes has gone in every now and again, but I'm wondering, will Dan go in there and maybe like the Richie English start um, instead? But it, it, look, it's it's not just his, his hurling ability. It's how he reads the game. And it's how he, as you said, the quiet leadership, you know, uh, on the field and the calm, calming presence. Like, I, I think, you know, I read something there before that uh, a Limerick supporter was getting irate with a Cork supporter on Twitter once about Shane Kingston starts into far to run at Declan Hannon and like the Limerick supporter was kind of saying like Jesus Christ I've heard it for the last nearly 40 years of this day to run at Declan Hannon you know he's so slow or whatever like that and he's never been caught for pace he is just the you know look he's the best centre back in the game at the moment um, and, and anyone to lose that is, is, is huge Isn't it a bit mad that when he got into the team he was a free-taking young mm. fella up in the forwards Yeah yeah, it's gas. Like, it's how Limerick, like, I always joke at Barry, like, you know, we joke at Barry at home that he's not even the best defender in his house. Like, you know, his, um, his father, Mahal, obviously played fullback for Limerick in the 90s. Um, and his brother, Brian, would have played cornerback as well for South Liberties with us. So it's amazing how Limerick hurlers can kind of gravitate. Kyle Hayes has played in the forward line. Barry started in the forward line. Declan Hannon. And do you know what I find? It just shows when you're a good hurler, when you're a very good hurler, that you can actually adapt to anything. Now, Barry's transformation, like Tommy Walsh's transformation, is huge. Um, going from a corner forward to a corner back, whatever like that. But but just how Declan has become just the centre-back, the teams are trying to model their centre-back off is huge. Yeah. Is there anything in it? Are there loads of frustrated, brilliant centre-half backs or corner backs who are hurling away in the in the forward line going, geez, like, you know, life is quite unfulfilling here. Yeah, like, you know, we... <laughs> You'd often think about it like in coaching, like, is, would that guy go back and do something? And you kind of look at a fellow that has great hands you know what I mean? That can hurl at centre-back and stuff like that. Like, I played centre-back for Cantor. 
And it was kind of, look, it's a sad story because it was, I was kind of telling about Teddy McCarthy where Teddy had to sit to far from Bandon who ran me around the field and absolutely pumped the shit out of me. Like, so I was the kind of thinking I was the Declan Hannon of, of the time, just hurling at centre back. But, um, you know, I played there because I was able to strike the ball and kind of read the game. The difference with me and Declan is that he had fitness height and <laughs> definitely, you know, I, I, I couldn't get around the field as well as he did or read the game. But, there's a lot of people up there that are just good hurlers. Like another guy from Limerick who, who would have done the same as Ronan Lynch from the Pearshig. You know, I know he's gone off the panel for a while, but went back from the Pearshig centre-back as well. And just a guy with good hands, you know, a great hands that can read a game and, you know, is intelligent. You know, centre-back nowadays doesn't follow the man all over the field. He reads the game and he's in the right place at the right time. Um, because if you do expose that middle and a team come running down the middle at you. Um, so there is a lot of... There's a lot of forwards out there, I'm sure, that could sit back into the centre-back. I wasn't one of them as a goalkeeper, unfortunately, but I, I threw my hand at it. How do you coach reading the game? How do you teach young players how to do it? Jesus, it's, it's you know, I like I was actually fortunate I played golf with um, David Higgins yesterday up here um, from Waterville, and we were talking about Lynx golf, and we were talking about Parkland golf, right? And he was saying, you know, it's a learned sport, par- or Lynx golf, because the way the ball flies, the way the grass is. And when you're talking about teaching someone how to read a game, it's almost innate, it's inside you. You know, for me in Cantorque, we were very lucky. We played Castle Lines one day with Lorcan McLaughlin uh, playing midfield. And in the second half, we were against the wind. And I just asked the management, would there be any chance of putting Lorcan centre-back? And Lorcan swept across the field and read the game. We ended up winning a very tight game because of him. And it was just his intelligence about knowing where the delivery, looking at the fella on the ball, right, he's pushed into the corner. That means he can only go down that line. It's intelligence. It's hurling intelligence where a fella sees the next play before it actually happens. Now, sometimes you get it wrong, of course, but it's actually being able to read the opposition, how they're moving, how your defence is kind of like, you know, your forward line is stopping their defence and clearing it and being at the right point. You know what? It's the better the hurler you are, I suppose, the more intelligence you have. How can you coach it? Uh I don't know. It's probably about picking the right person with the with the cam cam head and the shoulders to do that. I know that the move in coaching has been towards small sided games and three three on three, particularly in, in Gaelic football, uh, and that's great for the close control and spatial awareness. But if you're trying to hurl and teach, okay, uh, as you are in the half back line and the opposition cornerback has it, you need to know what direction the ball is going to go. You can't really do that in three on three. No, 100%. I like, you know, in, in my coaching, maybe I'm a little bit old-fashioned and stuff like that, but you just can't beat 15 on 15, you know. And and you can create you can create um, scenarios in, that, in those games where you can kind of force an aspect of the game and try to practice. Like puck outs is probably the easiest one to do. You just start the game of puck outs and every time the ball goes out, you create a puck out and a setup again and you're just kind of just, you know, um, mentally drilling it into their heads about where they're supposed to be set up and everything like that. So the three and three is fantastic for the close control. It is great for learning how to tackle. It's great for, you know, how to move that ball in a tight space. But when you are trying to learn it, like small sided games only take you so far. And then you have to be able to just play that position, understand where the centre forward drops off into midfield, where Willow Dunahoo sits back, where Declan Hannon sits back and stuff like that. And that's all brought through just repetition of playing games and training. Like we hear about, you know, Canucks coaching and how good it is, obviously. But we also hear about the AVB games. Go back to Brian Cody's time, you know, like it was games you know you're playing games you learn nothing more than playing a hurling match and I don't care if it's 2023 1963 or 2083 I think we'll be doing the same thing and Bernard Brogan's book is actually the same it's 15 on 15 um, in those matches and it doesn't sound like uh, a fairly similar swallowing of the whistle um, so yeah. just to talk about Hannon and what you do 
Uh, obviously, Shane Kingston running him wasn't the solution. Uh, what is mm. the solution to a, a good centre-back who can read the game and holds their position? Because Brian Hogan was fairly similar, I think. Mm. Shawnee McMahon yeah, was the one that actually uh, Hickey talked about during the week. Was like he's comparing Hannon to Hickey uh, to uh, Hannon to Shawnee McMahon, and saying this is the greatest comparison I can give to any human being is to compare him to Shawnee McMahon because that was the epitome of um, you know centre back play. So high praise. Yeah. But what do you do? Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a knock on effect for me. Um, it's Will O'Donoghue's man has to become a dominant force in the middle third. He has to get really you know high possessions to kind of draw that man. But then you've the flip side of Garrod Hegarty, Tom Morrissey coming crashing into you or whoever, Cahill O'Neill or whatever like that. Um, but it's the other players need to, like your centre forward needs to be in positions where he's causing hurt. You know, like what do you do? You put Keane Lynch in his farm on him is what you probably do. Like, you know, that's probably the thing, like a Tony Kelly, you know, maybe kind of drifting off with a centre forward that, you know, really does, um, really does play the game. And then you have the flip side of it. Do you put a Bonner Maher on him? And you just get Bonner to stay closer and run at him and just make sure that he's not influencing the game as much as another thing. So you've kind of like chalk or cheese I'm after describing there and which one works, I don't know. But, like you know, for me, it's not only his silent leadership, but it's the way he hurls silently as well. Like, I'm sure if we went back and, you know, really focused just on a player cam at him, you know, Declan Hannon, would, you, would he have cut out how many goal chances by just standing in the right place, you know, and, and more than the attacking play that we see? But like with a Liam Cahill, you just say to Bonner Maher, go on him there and just run him. And, you know, as in not run him, but like just kind of be direct at him, keep him busy around the 45 where he's going to be. Or do you put a, look, as you know, it's a joke, like kind of a Keen Lynch on him or a Jason Ford is probably Tipperary's equivalent to that. And just say, look, lads, when you see Jason in space, keep picking him off. Just keep picking him off. Keep getting up the, the thing. But the one thing I find in with, with Limerick is that they don't mind Declan Hans, man, getting on a huge amount of possessions. You know, they don't like it, but Declan's job is to sit back, protect the goals, you know, be the outlet to the cornerback when he's on the ball, you know, because his hands are so good, his deliveries are excellent. And to be fair, like it's, you know, you're trying to, like, the, I'm really giving him a compliment here by saying, I don't know, to be honest, which is the best solution. Um, because I really do think that he is probably one of the Limerick's most influential players. Yeah. Maybe the thing to do is to try everything in a game and you don't. That's it. You will. Do- the, the way the game has gone, George, sorry, with Tipperary is like, in fairness to Cahill that day, he seemed to put on his Bonner Mahers at the start and these guys that were just workhorses to really get into the game, create that battle and then spring your hurlers towards the end. So maybe it is a mix of him marking one style of player at the start, as you said, and then maybe putting on a hurler on him after and keep swapping him around and just keep them thinking. And that's what Tipperary always did back in when I first started playing. The Tipperary forward line was the best team I ever played against for swapping players. You, you were looking at Seamus Callan in one minute and then you are looking at, you know, even the likes of uh, Lark Harbour towards the you're looking in front of you next year two seconds later you're looking at John O'Dwyer and you know what I mean the next thing a defender can't get into his 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 routine of marking the same player that was Eamon O'Shea's the, that was yep. his imprint uh, let's talk about the, the Galway tip game then because you, you mentioned tip there um, I don't know I, I guess I I don't know what I don't know about this game uh, and I think afterwards we'll be like oh well, that makes sense but uh, yeah. so Galway have hurts but they also have patches of unbelievable performance they've got Connor Whelan in form Tipperary have everybody fit they they did score seven like we predicted uh, <laughs> yeah. so they're no longer under the radar um, yeah. what, when you're thinking about this game what's the first thing you start thinking about? Uh, monster cockiness for me it's kind of looking at the championship and seeing what Tipperary have gone through and you know right what I would love 
as a neutral is a consistent 70-minute performance from Galway and Tipperary to bring what they've been bringing all year. And then we are set up for an absolute cracker. Um, you know, like for me, if Conor Whelan's inside, I, I look at money preempting with Kyle Barrett and probably, you know, or someone like that will be on him. You, you, like you're trying to, for me, if I was going out against Galway in the morning, I'm just saying, lads, Conor Whelan, just make sure he's as quiet as possible. You know, you have an energetic player on him just marking him side to side and stuff like that and make sure he's quiet. I just want to see a 70 minutes from Galway, you know, because when they do, they're definitely one of the best teams in the country. And and again, it's a compliment to them. The, the, the frustrating factor, and I'm sure Henry is standing on the sideline pulling his hair out. The biggest disappointment for me for Galway was the fact that Kilkenny's injury list was so large when we spoke about that. And then they still, you know, didn't get over the line. Have they the potential to win? Yes, of course they do. And I never doubt a Galway team ever because the, the calibre hurler they have. What I've seen so far this year, Tipperary for me going as 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 favourites. Um, I just think that what they've shown in Munster has just been like a twist upside down to what we saw last year. Um, so I really do think that it'll take a seventy minutes plus performance from Galway to to beat Tipperary. They're obviously capable of it. They just haven't done it yes. yet. Yes, that's it. I think they haven't put a seventy minute performance together yet this year. And I, I like I, I'm sure if, if you and I were having a conversation with Henry Shefflin, he, like he wouldn't take that as a as a dig at him in any way or anything or any of his players. I think he would agree that he's frustrated that when they're brilliant, they are brilliant. You know what I mean? They are up there with any team, but when they just don't seem to kind of, it's not click, but it's just when they don't seem to stick to what they're supposed to do, then they just allow teams a large purple patch. And I think if you allow that Tipperary team a large purple patch, you're just you're going to be gone out of the game before you won't be able to catch them back up. Like the heavy scoring that Tipperary are capable of, and that we've seen mm. from them in patches as well. Like this is, <clears throat> I don't know if it's the first time, but it certainly feels like it's the first time they're going to have their strongest forward pack available to them. Where you know Ford's fitness looks like it's where it needs to be. Seamus Callan is named to start, uh, like. I think Callan's goal record against Galway is particularly good. I know it's good against everybody. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're a great team. They're a great team, George. He's at the building, in fairness to Liam Cal, I like to give him kudos. The, he's at the building a hybrid there, you know, of the older and the younger fellas that just is a fantastic mix. And I feel very sorry for Colin Byron last year because he didn't have a lot of those players available to him, you know. But this year, there just seems to be something special. They... You know, they wanted Liam Cahill back in Tipperary, those players. They got him and they seem to be reacting to it. And uh, I really think that they're contenders for a team that I predicted straight away last year wouldn't get out of Munster. Now they've become very strong contenders. What does the Waterford performance that Tipperary put in when really they, they were within minutes of, of exiting the championship, what does that do to the team? Like, uh, how do you get that out of your system, I suppose, is a better question. I, I think what happens is Liam and his management team sit them down and show them, look, lads, we've agreed to do X, Y, and Z during the game. We didn't. And look, this nearly cost us the season. And it, do you know what? Sometimes that can give you the kick in the arse you need. Now, look, I know the scoreline the last day was astronomical. And we, as you said, you predicted it that day. But like, while it doesn't mean a huge amount, it gives that forward confidence. They now have confidence going into the game after just, you know, getting a goal and getting a score and getting a good few scores gives it a fella that little bit of cockiness that he has going into the next day that when the shot is on, he wants to take it. Um, and you don't want to give tip forwarding much confidence from, you know, any county. Um, but I really think that that game could have been, it actually, they could look back at the end of the season and say that that was, that was the turning point um, for me. You know, I'm not saying they're going to go and win in All-Ireland, but I think that there's a huge performance in them still. Um 
And again, the only way I can see Galway winning is, and if it does happen, it's going to be one hell of a game because tip Galway games are brilliant. You've got two hurling teams that are just going to go at it. Like, you know, they're, they're great games. Um, and I, I, a high scoring thriller is what I'm hoping for and quite possible, but it needs a 70 minute Galway to, to have that happen. I don't know if you heard uh, Scale this week, but uh, he was un- unsparing in uh, the details of how much he hates Tipperary because that's that's the local rival. It was like proper hatred, which I actually love to hear because it's, it's so if when he when he was younger, right? I heard a story from him. He said he how much he hated Cork as well. This fellow just seems to hate everybody, right? So <laughs> this is why I haven't joined the podcast just yet. <laughs> I think I might leave it off. We might get a bit heated, but he seems to hate everybody, and even his it was a TV bit to go off as well. So. Um, I'm probably the camera goalkeeper on News Talk, which isn't in itself probably isn't an amazing achievement. But um, yeah, he, I get it. I get it. And you know what? Right. They're, but they're two similar counties. They're both very proud hurling counties with unbelievable talent. They're they're a team that I really look forward to watching that match, you know. So um, and again, I just really hope it's, it, it lives up to this billing. Is there anything from a shape perspective that you're seeing from Galway that has changed over the course of Henry being there? Like, uh, we we were wondering what the Conor Whelan situation was and then obviously the last day he erupted. So have they fixed that? Is that something that they've worked on and got better at and that would be something in the plus column for them? So I, I worked with a few games with Sky last year on the sideline that um, Henry's Galway were playing and I found that his wing forwards definitely became more defensive. I think he really got him working harder. I think it was more of a Look, you could see it was a Kilkenny, Henry Shefflin, kind of a being that bit of grit and determination into the team. Um, for me, like the Mannions are are so important. Like, you know, I presume Parag is going to go back out to field and, and Cahill, you know, is just like he is there. I, I said this a few years back that Tony Kelly and for Clare and things like that. I think that Cahill can be that player. You know, he's just such a beautiful, stylish hurler. And, and for them to, to, to come through the game, those three guys need to have you know, um, performances upon, you know, Connor Whelan, look, Connor is carrying that forward line as a leader. I'm not saying he's carrying it for the other five not going well, but Connor is now the leader of that forward line and for Galway to go through and go well, he needs to, he needs to have a, a cracking game. But for me with Henry, they just seem to be when they're on, they're a more gritty or determined, hardworking outfit that, um, you know, that, and that's what I found he's brought to this county. Okay, we're going to take a quick break before we preview the, um, the other game this weekend and just to get your thoughts generally on where Dublin are and how easy it's going to be for Clare to bounce back but a reminder hurling is anyone's game Off the Ball has teamed up with senior hurling championship sponsors Borgosh Energy to uncover stories highlighting the positive impact that hurling has had on people's lives for full competition details please visit borgoshenergy.ie forward slash BGEGAA Hurling on Off the Ball with Borgosh Energy Harling, it's anyone's game. All right, Anthony Nash is with us and we're previewing the weekend's hurling. Um, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts on where Dublin are at the moment. Um, we've we've kind of been waiting, we were having this conversation off air a little bit earlier, earlier on about like the, the Dublin hurling experiment always feels like it's just a tiny rung below where it needs to be to tip over into success and, uh, you know, being bunched in that group who feel like they can win in All-Ireland they're just a tiny bit behind that and there's no real explanation for why they are that still bit behind Yeah I'd have to agree with that um, I think the first thing was the positive appointment to Mahal who I thought it was a, a great a great coup for, for Dublin Hurling because of, I just think his style his management his, the way he holds himself suits you know Dublin Hurling number one his experience winning in All-Ireland um, you know the one thing about 
Dublin with us is the energy was always there, the the effort was there. But under Anthony Daly, they they, they should have beaten us in thirteen. You know, they were unlucky with Ryan O'Dwyer being sent off and stuff like that. But after that, there was just it seemed to be kind of they were the step off, you know, compared to the other top level teams that um, that we would have played. And it was just that they're lacking, you know, like every like Jesus, like what what are they lacking? Are they lacking one or two more hurlers? Maybe do you know? Is it as simple as that? You know, they, like they have great fitness. They were always extremely fit, strong. You know, as professional, we played a challenge match one day above in the centre of excellence with them, and their setup was just as professional as you could have gotten. Like you know, so everything was put in place for them. I always just wonder were they missing that maybe that one or two players? Um, you know, but. <sighs> They're just still not there for me, you know. They really aren't. Just not this year either. And hopefully, like maybe with Mahal in a year or two time, and you know, with the experience of maybe finding that one or two other, especially forwards for me, like you know, um, you know, when when we played them, like they had you know, Ryan O'Dwyer, Danny Sutcliffe, and his pomp, you know, Cornell Keeney, like you know, and Dottie O'Callan, like they were. That was a serious forward, like you know, that was like that half hour line that day. I remember the semi-final caused us torment, like, you know, Ryan O'Dwyer, Danny Sutcliffe and Conn Keane, not only were they unbelievable hurlers, but they were unbelievable in the air. And we just felt like, you know, had they kind of replaced those people, um, you know, yet. Um, like I see Chris O'Leary from Cork is playing midfield from at the moment, like, and, you know, Chris is a great hurler and what he's got him doing is kind of playing that, you know, defensive role. He's a big six foot three fell insider, like, so he's really kind of spread across the county to find these players. Um, you know, and I think he's trying his best, but again, I'd have to agree with you. I just think that that just that bit off. And so we we kind of expect Claire to be able to bounce back and just come through this. Yeah, um, yeah, I do, I do, yeah, I do. I I just think that, but like the thing about Dublin, right, and the thing about anybody else is that there's one day in every heart. Like you know what I mean? There's always one day in everybody, and Dublin are hoping that it's that one day. Do I see Dublin winning an All Ireland? No, I don't see them consistently beating three or four of the top teams to go and win an All-Ireland yet. I, I don't. But can Dublin be clear? Of course they can. Will Dublin be clear? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think that Clare, if they just were able to just regroup and and recover, which they should do because there was no disappointment in losing a Munster Sorry, there was no, you know, badness in losing a Munster final by a point. Like, they've put up two absolute cracking performances against the best team in the country this year. So, like, for me, rightly so, they're, you know, themselves and Kilkenny are battling it out for number two still. So if they can just make sure that their injuries are fine, that everybody recovered well, then I do see nothing else on a clear victory this weekend. Um, let, let's say that happens, right? Uh, are they then back to where they would have been? Because I guess last year's semi-final non-appearance hangs over Clare for the rest of the championship until they get over the hump and show that they're actually capable of winning a semi-final or performing to a level that gets them in competition for the final five, ten minutes and then, yeah, you know, come what may. Um, the the hour-long Super Bowl highlights from Super Bowl 52 was on the other night and I was like, oh, this is the one. Yeah, and I got in just as um, Tom Brady starts his comeback against the Falcons. And, like, mm. that ruined Atlanta. They were never, mm. ever able to recover mm. from that. And you hope that Claire are able to recover from what happened last year in extra time. You know, where Tony Kelly had, had like, there's an incredible catch that Julio Jones makes where he just gets his two feet down and it's the winning mm. of the game. The, mm. It's the winning of the Super Bowl with one of the all-time greatest catches in Super Bowl history and nobody mm. remembers it. And people have kind of forgotten Tony Kelly's sideline to get the game to extra time because they lost by a point to the eventual Ireland champions. 
Um, and I just hope that that's not the high watermark for them, that actually they come back and that was like, that was a building block to greatness this year. Yeah, I, I don't see it. I don't see it happening. As in, I, I think that if, if I was Brian Lohan, if I was any Clare player and I have an opportunity to meet Kilkenny again in the semi-final, well then that's motivation enough. And there's six shit of people telling him about last year over the winter about their collapse and whatever and the excuse of John Conlon. They don't want that. And I'm sure that group of player won't be looking over Dublin. Oh, don't get me wrong. But once they do get over Dublin, I think that they will really look forward to having a crack at this again and just wronging like you know writing a wrong that's basically it and as a hurler like you don't like any help of motivation that you can have you're going to go and get it and as a Clare player I'd want nothing more than a Kilkenny semi-final to just try and put it to bed no guarantees they win though because I still think if Kilkenny get their list of injuries back it'll be an unbelievable game but I think that they'll I think they'll be absolutely chomping at the bit to have have a go and just write the wrong so what they need from this weekend then is a good quality performance, no significant injuries and get the job done and move on. 100%. I, I, I think that too. I think, look, you, you still want the likes of Mark Rogers, Aidan McCarthy and a few more and even Duggan or whoever like that, you know, whoever's playing their forward line to, to get their scores. You know, you want to fix the full back line issues, make sure that like, you know, that the space isn't there anymore for, you know, for, for, for the inside players. Now Dublin don't have Aaron Gillan or Seamus Flanagan. So, you know, you're not going to be as exploited as much, but you still don't want the probably the slight errors that you, you gave Limerick to appear again. So it's not that you're going to, have to fix the Limerick game against Dublin, you're going to, have to win the game, but you're hoping that your consistent performance comes back and that your forwards get a bit of confidence again and get going again, you know, and even like Tony Kelly coming to the fore again, you know, and really taking the game by the scruff of the neck. Um, so look, I'm apologising to all Dublin fans here now, like listening into this because listen, I'm not describing a dream day for Dublin. But as a Clare person, you want Tony Kelly to go back and hit the heights again and just be looking into that Kilkenny game with a, you know, going like right, Mikey Butler could be on me again. I'm going to just try and you know show everybody what I'm what I'm what I'm able to do again. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. Um, like we we want to see the best teams against each other but if you're Dublin you've got the opportunity to spoil that whole party and that's massive motivation and it happens so often in Gaelic games about hurling and football where a team who are massive underdogs put in their uh, one one performance um, so yeah there's a possibility of it happening um, I did want to talk about one other thing with you before we go and that's the scoring record that Patrick Horgan and TJ Reid are currently duking it out for Um Patrick Horgan this week was very pissed off when people were asking him about retirement. We didn't even talk, we talked to him but didn't ask him about retirement because we were more interested in his um, pursuit of the scoring record and he's, he started to smile when he was talking about it, you know, like, oh, it's a team game and, but actually, that matters to him and it clearly matters to TJ Reid as well. Of course it does. <clears throat> and rightly so. Like, your number one dream as a hurler is to win an All-Ireland. That's it. You know, you win in province, you win in All-Ireland, that's it. Like, and then after that, individual goals and accolades, of course they're important. Why are, why are All-Stars there? You know, why are, why are these records out there? Why are they important? You know, Hoggy's a huge Tom Brady fan, like, so, you know, he'd be looking at Tom Brady's throwing, you know, and all that, and he'd look, he loves Tiger Woods and Ronnie O'Sullivan. He loves the best of the games, best of, the, uh, of all the athletes. So he, of course, wants to be leaving the GA with the top scoring. And so does TJ Reid. Like, you know, and, and they should be allowed to speak about it. Like, we should be allowed to say, yeah, I am going for that. Of course, yeah, instead of somebody going, oh, it's a team game. Yes, of course, it's a team game. You want to win another. But if there's an individual accolade or an individual award out there to be won, go get it. Man of the match. Does any player want a man of the match? Of course they do. They want to be in the winning team getting the man of the match. But of course you want individual accolades. But we have a thing here in Ireland that, you know, we're begrudging of people talking about, you know, you know things that they do. Why? Like, 
I will be wheeling these two off the field until one of them until one of them gets that actual award, like you know what I mean, or that that title to whoever is the highest scoring. Like, but like both of those players, I look, I don't know what TJ's thoughts are. I'd be surprised if he finished up this year. But I know Hoggy would want that. I, I look I, again, we're we're very close friends, but I wouldn't bring it up with him. Like, but I come if it was me, of course I'd want it. Um, you know, but but let him off, let him juke it out, isn't it great? It's fantastic. It's Joe Canning had it up, you know, up until recently, then the two boys came along and it's it's let's embrace that rather than people you know worrying about it like embrace it and of course he should be smiling what an honour for him and his family to be in that position our our uh, strong belief is that uh, TJ won't be going anywhere anytime soon uh, while yeah. the record is is um, is on the table and I think it's actually something that we could make more of a deal out of in a way that like we uh, I know your point about the begrudgery is, is definitely part of this but like these records are really interesting they're the type of things that seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven year olds are like absolutely fascinated by and you suck that generation in by going, This is the greatest scorer of all time. You've got to go and see him if you can't possibly do it. Like we could still do a little bit of work on all that, I think. So I, I was co coming co commentating on the one time that Joe Canning got his scoring record. And I think was it a week previous or a bit previous or was it after that? I saw an Aussie Rules player kick, was it his thousand goal or something, I don't know. And the whole stadium came in and lifted him. In the middle of the game, middle of the game, game stopped, lifted them up their shoulders. What a huge achievement. And next thing all I got was well done to Joe Canning, very proud moment for his family and puck out the ball and off you go. You know, and I'm kind of going, the whole of Crow Park or Turles, wherever, shouldn't come in and lift them on their shoulders. I'm not saying that. But something should have been up in the scoreboard. Something should have been, you know, there could have been a 30 second pause to just go what this man has just done no we can't do it at the moment with Hoggy and TJ because it could be every second game stopping over and back <laughs> but maybe at the end of the season you could do something just to say look 2023 currently TJ Reid is holding this what an absolute honour what a performance you know you're looking back over the ages these three forwards have been the three best in the country over the last however long but I agree 100% like and it doesn't add to the game Jesus Christ you know I always feel that like all Ireland final day should be like the Super Bowl. I'm not saying we fly jets over the stadium and stuff like that, but this should be a festival. Like I was actually up here, right, at a, the the golf event here in in um, Sea Point, right, and it's a kind of a you know they bring people from all over the world to play in it, and they were all asking about hurling and stuff like that. And I was just thinking about like, are we missing a trick here where the All Ireland final weekend or semi final weekend should be just a festival of and in both codes, you know, um, and and when it comes to scoring records or anything like that, if we can promote this game anymore drive it on 100% yeah I, I totally agree with you a little bit of razzmatazz I know Irish people are a little bit sceptical slash uh, scared of it but it, we're, we're not going to die we're not going to lose our values just because <laughs> we have fun uh, you know. yeah exactly exactly I, I guess it's brilliant like where we've two players battling it out for a record that like when will, when will this be beaten again like you know this mightn't be beaten for a very long time again and we're just taking it for granted or TJ has it now right Hoggy has it now I'm back over and like, is that one of the reasons Hoggy's gone back? I'm sure it is. Of course it is. You know, he's gone back because he wants to win All Ireland. There's no point in saying that's any players. And I and I will say it again. It's the pinnacle. You want an All Ireland, but then the individual records after that are, and 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 accolades are fantastic. Yeah, and I, sorry, I, like you have to say that uh, if he is doing well enough to get the record, then the team is going to benefit from that. That's uh, we made that point to him as well. That like he's totally. Yeah, it's exactly. fair for him to talk about this record because. To get it, he has to score heavily, and if he's scoring heavily, the team are doing well. Like it's a, a quid pro quo. Uh, what's he like? Because um, we've had him on a couple of times, and he's a great fella. But uh, the cold, hard assassin, uh, when he's sitting in his car chatting to you, doesn't come across. 
and he clearly is no um extremely selfish in his preparation and that is a huge 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 compliment on my behalf like he is just constant curling he is patrick horgan the hurler like and that is it his life is um decisions made on his life are regarding hurling so he was one i joked him one day i said you're probably one of the best players i've ever played with if not the best but you're the worst teammate because if I wanted to do something and it was affecting his recovery or he was like that, we weren't doing it. Like, you know, and he'd wreck my head coming off the field as well, stay on for a half an hour, practicing penalties and 21s as well. Uh, and I didn't want to be there. So we used to have, I used to save one and walk off and drive him nuts. And I'd be getting a hurl of use left, right, and center. And if he scored, I'd probably be pushing him on to go for another one, you know. So um, I got on great with him. We were the first onto the field and the last to leave it throughout our career. He'd be practicing freeze and I'd be picking him off for puck outs. Um, and to me, that was a sign of a fantastic teammate that I knew when I turned up the day, I didn't have to worry about Hoggy. The compliment I used to always give him was when he was taking a free, I used to go back into the goal and take a sip of water because I knew where I was going. There was no fear of him. And the time and effort a free taker has to put in. Like one of my other pet peeves, no, sorry, to, to jump sideways. When I see a fellow going, oh, he got 110, Asher seven of them for freeze. Would you ever F off, right? Freeze are probably you know having a free taker that can score on a consistent basis is probably one of the best things and throughout my career I'd hoggy you know so I was so lucky to have that because it was just one less job that the rest of the team had to do because he was at home practicing hours upon hours so what's he like he's he's a, an, a, he is a driven driven hurling man a driven hurler and wants to be the best you know and that's it all his idols as I said two while ago are, are the best in his sport uh, in their sports and I think he wants to be the same it's just struck me as well you stole a lot of goals from him when you were taking all those penalties all those years it was funny yeah uh, we used to have a slag about it right like but then um then when the rule changed then he like he took back over and again I was so lucky that that we had someone like him to be able to score them because in 2014 I think he got two against Clare uh penalty in a 21 and stuff and other teams struggled to have a fella to do that so uh, what's he like off the field he's great crack great fun uh, good guy to be around and then a great great person to have in your team because you knew you didn't have to worry about him if uh, he'd been able to take all those penalties he could retire happily now only you ruined it and you're going to have to make him play for another couple of seasons <laughs> yeah I don't think so I still think he'll be going he's one of those guys that joked him one day he'd be taking out the false teeth and stepping into the goal for the Glen at the age of 45 so he'll be he'll be hurling until he can't walk well, him versus TJ is going to be one of those battles for the ages that we should lean into over the next couple of years while we still have it. Uh, good stuff, Anthony. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Good stuff, so, thanks very much, guys. Anthony Nash with us this Friday. A reminder now, before we go, we're going to hear a little bit more from the Hurling Pod in a while. Some great news for fans of the show. The pod are off to the Borgosh Energy Theatre in Dublin this July and you are invited. Uh, Will, James Scahill and Paul Murphy will be joined by the living legend Joe Canning and by more Hurling Legends just a few days before this year's All-Ireland Final. It's in the uh, Borgosh Energy Theatre on the 20th of July. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events for more. All proceeds from the show will go to the Dylan Quirk Foundation and to Focus Ireland. Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship. Hurling on Off The Ball with Borgosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game.